0: Alright, Frenemies Episode 3. I'm Austin, Joel's here. How you doing, man?
1: Doing well. I'm excited to get Episode 3 out. We has got some exciting topics today. Later on, we're going to get joined by Harrison Fagan, Lakers expert. We're going to talk some some drafts, some trade rumors, and some actual trades. And uh going to get a start off with some college football. So, uh, yeah, excited to get it going. Do a little preview of the USC game this weekend and reaction of past Notre Dame and USC game. So, ready to get it rolling.
0: I'm excited, man. Like Joel said, we have uh, my guy Harrison Fagan on from Silver Screen and Roll. Uh, we'll be talking Lakers and NBA offseason some Celtics in there. Harrison and I get to roast Danny Ainge a little bit too, which is always a good time. But yeah, let's start with college football because unfortunately it wasn't 1993 all over again. Notre Dame did not get upset by Boston College and they're still in pole position to make the playoff.
1: Right, yeah, Notre Dame. I mean, obviously, um, there's always speculation when you look back at history and you see a trend. I mean, it was a long time ago, though. This is obviously a completely new coaching staff, completely new team. A long way back was 1993. Um, Started off a bit slow there in Chestnut Hill against Boston College, but the Irish were the better team, and you could see that from the start. I mean, Boston College had one drive that they scored points on. Um, Right at the beginning, their first drive of the game, they were able to go down and score. And it did make me uneasy a little bit at the beginning there. I was like, oh boy, guys, come on. Let's not let them just drive down and score on us. But after that, every point they got other than one drive kind of at the end of the game in garbage time um, was off turnovers. Notre Dame was a bit sloppy. Final score ended up being 45-31 in favor of the Irish. Could have definitely been a lot more had the Irish not fumbled the ball three different times, um, which led to points for Boston College. But yeah, Ian Book again, he just proved he's a winner. I mean, the guy... He scrambles, he throws on the run, he stands in the pocket, gets hit and throws. I mean, he's proving that he's, he's a, he's a top tier college quarterback. I mean, he's just, he's been doing it for a long time now, up to 29 and three as a starter looking for win number 30, which is just something, something incredible. I mean, that's pretty special to win 30 games as a college starter. So he proved that he's a dynamic player and, uh, deserves to be respected among the top college quarterbacks. He's not obviously up there with Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or anyone like that, but the guy gets the job done and he got it done largely to um, grad transfer Ben Skaronic, who came over from Northwestern through three touchdowns in the first half to Skaronic. Um Interesting stat. Ben Skaronic has five touchdowns this season and they came in just two games, um, actually two halves of football. The first half of uh, the game at Pittsburgh earlier this season, he caught two touchdowns and then, Tied an Irish record for most touchdowns in the first half of a game with three this half, tying Chase Claypool's record from last year against Navy when he caught three in the first half. But a solid performance from the Irish defense. Their run defense week in and week out. Five straight weeks now that the Irish run defense has held their opponent to under 100 rushing yards. Um, And one of those weeks, especially impressive, obviously came against ACC all-time leading rusher Travis Etienne. So they've proved that they can stop the run against any team in the nation. The pass defense um, continues to be a tiny bit suspect for the Irish. They've given up some big plays in the passing game. Obviously, DJ Uyangalaleh was able to go over 400 yards. Um, I kind of expected that to happen as Notre Dame was trying to stop ETN. This week, Yurkovec was able to go over 200, had a pretty solid game. So we're going to need to shore up the pass defense a little bit. But overall, solid performance from the Irish. Didn't listen to the noise, didn't listen to the hype of 93, and just got the job done as a superior team.
0: Yeah, you know, it's pretty incredible. They seem well on their way to, let's see, they either getting blown out in the ACC Championship game by Clemson, getting blown out in the semifinal by Ohio State or getting blown out in the championship game by Bama. Hey, you know what? Maybe, (laughs) maybe hope against hope, maybe they'll make it to get blown out by Bama. Uh, Brian Kelly seems to have some experience there.
1: Hey, 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 hey. It's a new year, 2012. Hey, eight years ago, all right? This is a new team, new group of guys, and uh, I truly do believe, and obviously I'm a biased person. I'll, I'll admit it. I'll be the first to admit it. I'm a Notre Dame fan, but based on what I've seen, I do think Notre Dame can play tough with anyone in the country, so it'll just be interesting to see how these next few weeks shake out, um moving towards the playoffs and moving towards those conference championship games um weird to be talking about a conference championship game for the irish never never done that ever in history so should be fun it'd be cool if we could make it at least i mean even if we lose to clemson obviously they're a great team and it'll be a good game but to make it to the championship of the conference in your first year in it that's that's something in itself so but not the goal in the acc
0: is it though especially since there's no divisions and there's only like one other good team, but I I digress. (laughs) Uh, I will say though, you said that you feel confident against anyone in the country. Um, you also mentioned how Notre Dame has been pretty adept and stopping the run. And I do agree. Um, it was pretty, it was pretty much an easy choice to be fair to as great as DJ. Um, I will never get that name, right. Um, (laughs)
1: Uyangalele.
0: Oyangalele. As great as he was in that game, it was a pretty easy choice for Notre Dame to stack the box against ETN and make Oyangalele beat them. Uh, instead of the alternative just because you didn't have to face Trevor Lawrence. Uh but when it comes to Bama, I mean, Najee Harris is not just anyone in the country. So, you know, I will say, um, it's funny, I we caught um, our childhood heroes Matt Leiner and Brady Quinn sniping each other on the Fox Sports pregame show a couple weeks back. Matt Leiner was quick to point out, he's like, hey, you know, act like you've been there before. It's not like uh, Notre Dame has won a championship this century. And Brady Quinn came right back with, well, USC hasn't made a college football playoff. Which, again, if you really want to take pride in getting beat <laughs> 30-3 to by Trevor Lawrence... Yeah, we can we can we can consider that a college football playoff berth, I guess technically. But you know, hey, hey, fair points were made.
1: Listen, the next week, Bama got beat by more. Is all that's what I'll say. That team was special, Clemson. All right, it was embarrassing, but Bama got embarrassed more. That's all I'll say on the matter.
0: That's fair. That's fair.
1: Um. So yeah, this is actually an interesting week. Notre Dame has a bye this week. That North Carolina game is going to be the friday after thanksgiving so november 27th it's going to be the day right after thanksgiving i'm hoping that the irish players aren't all on tryptophan from that turkey hope they're not sleepy or anything hope they come out wide awake because the tar heels this the game is going to be in chapel hill north carolina on the road the tar heels are going to come out looking for a win they were they were ranked coming in to this season pretty highly and and had some good games were ranked um i think as high as 12 i believe but yeah the tar heels have had a couple tough losses um They've dropped, they have two losses now, but last week they were down big to Wake Forest, made actually the biggest comeback in school history. They were down 21 points to the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. They came back and won that game 59-53 in a barn burner as their quarterback Sam Howell threw for 550 yards and accounted for seven touchdowns. So he just had an absolute killer game. And as I mentioned earlier, the pass defense has been a bit of a concern for the Irish. So flip side of where we're stacked the box and knows and try and stop the run this this next game coming up we are going to need to make sure that he doesn't beat us through the air because they've got a talented group of tall athletic receivers that can get down the field get behind the safety and the irish are going to really need to watch for that we've proven the run defense can do it but the past events has not had an absolute stellar game in any game they've done enough obviously we're eight zero, but the irish are going to need to watch that arm of sam Howell because he can really sling it
0: yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. Uh, North Carolina's passing attack is clearly the strength of its offense, uh, and that'll be if they're going to pull up enough. If they're going to pull off an upset to against Notre Dame. It's going to be uh, with Sam Howell's arm. Speaking of uh, mediocre defenses, USC snatch a victory from the jaws of defeat again. Um, they beat Arizona on the final possession. 34 to 30. Keaton Slovis played uh, good. He, he, he stepped up in the, he stepped up in the fourth quarter again. I do worry about his arm. If you look at it, I was looking at, um, uh, kind of a heat map of his average completions downfield and it's, mainly in and you know this this won't come as a surprise to anyone who's watched the first two games but it's mainly to um the right half of the field throwing kind of towards his right-handed side about like five within five yards of the line of scrimmage five to ten yards Mm -hmm. i mean that's classic air raid stuff but also his arm just seems noticeably weaker compared to last season and i can't help but wonder i'm not a doctor i don't have any uh, inside info. But I was at the Holiday Bowl last year where he did get his elbow messed up uh, and had to get taken out of the game against Iowa. And I just... I hope to God I'm wrong. But it just doesn't seem like that elbow's 100%. He was never... And again, he was never a big downfield passer anyway, but it just doesn't seem to be there. I mean, the the highlight of the day came on a tip pass that, frankly, most... College football defensive backs turn into an interception, and if that pass does get picked off, or even if that pass lands incomplete and not like perfectly in the arms of Amon Ross St. Brown late in the game, USC probably loses that game. It helps to be lucky. You you want to be you have to be lucky, not just good in any sport. But there's a lot to be desired, especially when you're in a dogfight against Arizona for the entire game could they survive the Pac-12 South and make it to the Pac-12 championship game sure would I confidently pick them against Oregon right now heck no yeah and so that's that's gonna be the issue and again like I have you know forget Oregon I don't necessarily have conf- have confidence in this team week to week. I you know I I probably pick them to win against Utah this week just because Utah has had to deal with its own COVID issues. Um, it sounds like that that a lot of their first team was really decimated. They were running kind of practices with um, heavy uh, heavy portions of the scout team up there a lot from some stuff I've read. So they they've clearly had some issues. Um, with how many guys they had quarantined and kind of had their workout rhythms messed up. But that said, even if USC is able to pull out another win, like, I just don't see any way I can be confident in this team to actually make any noise. And that seems like kind of a missed opportunity because I'm not even seeing them progress as a unit. Um, Todd Orlando, as a defensive coordinator... Com- compared to the, the really lackluster stuff we saw from Clancy Pendergast the last few years, um, he's kind of the other end of the spectrum where he's aggressive almost to a fault. Um, big, yeah. you know, third third down blitz guy. Um I will say USC had a couple of nice coverage sacks. But um where Orlando has really struggled, and we saw this at Texas too, is his defense his defenses, and this is something you really need to do in college, but his defenses really don't do a good job of protecting against quarterback scrambles. We saw that a lot in Week One. We saw that a lot in Week Two with Grant Gunnell as well. It's just hard for me to see, like, and again, I never thought Todd Orlando was going to be the solution, but I, I haven't seen anything to show me he's even a major improvement over Clancy Pendergast. And when I'm saying when I'm saying that about someone that's not a compliment (laughs) (laughs) no so you know look maybe i'm just maybe like usc is maybe the one team that i get like the full nihilist and like (laughs) never want to see the glass half full um and look the glass is half full like we could still easily make a conference championship game this this year um we are still 2-0 but when you When you look at this game, you see how many holes are are in this game and how a better team than either Arizona State or Arizona could have exposed those flaws. Slovis throws a pass that ends up being crucial in the game when he drives that should have been picked. It's just tough to have any faith in this team, not just in the short term, but in the long term.
1: Right, yeah. No, it's just tough to see. You really don't know what you're going to get, obviously. These past two weeks, USC has been able to eke out those wins in the fourth quarter, but they've been dogfights, and you just got to wonder... Just how long their luck is going to run out. I mean, obviously, they've put themselves in positions to win. But, I mean, several times. I mean, week one against Arizona State, that tip ball um, by Amon Ross-A-Brown, tipped it up, caught for a touchdown, and it ended
0: up being McCoy, and recovered, the Which was down, awesome, yeah. I will say, because Bru McCoy's, uh, speaking of people coming over from Texas, Gruen McCoy's yeah. background is he picked Texas over USC, five-star receiver out of Southern California, got really homesick, switched back to USC, um, and we'll say, you know, again, I mean, you'll hear me, like I said, I don't think Clay Helton deserves to be head coach of the USC Trojans. He does seem like a good person and a good guy. Right. And so right. he kept this relationship with Bruce McCoy when a lot of other, you know, coaches would have said, you know, you're not committing here. Screw you. I never want to see your face again. So yeah, that was no, a big. So he's good. Yeah. So that was a big relate. Um, that relationship was a key factor in bringing him back to USC. Uh, But then he had an illness all last year. And so being able to finally see him get some playing time after everything he's been through has been really cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, definitely good to see him get that. Yeah, yeah. But that said, it's just how long will the luck run out? I mean, obviously that tipped ball. Yeah, like you said several times, most defenders would have intercepted that. That would have ended the game right there. I think USC was out of timeouts, but the ball tips perfectly right to a Monroe St. Brown. They score the next play. On a running play, and and, and that defense also, I mean, most teams would have lost that game. They let Arizona drive straight down at the end of the game and score that touchdown, so you never never know what you're going to get, really. Obviously, USC on paper going into, I would say all of their matchups on paper should be the favorite, but I mean, the way they're playing right now, you don't know if that can sustain throughout a full seven-game schedule, and Certainly, like you said earlier, I would definitely not pick them against Oregon in a Pac-12 championship game, just the way the Ducks are playing right now. But, you know, Clay Helton could get him turned around. They could light a fire under their belly, say, hey, guys, we can't keep squeaking these games out. It's not going to happen every week. And and they really got to get off to faster starts because the fourth quarter comebacks, I mean, something's going to go wrong sometime. They can't always happen.
0: That's cute that you think Clay Helton's going to be the one to light a fire under them. Somebody's got to.
1: And if it's not the head coach, then he deserves to be out of there, like you said. But, hey. It's got to be somebody, some leader on the team. It's got to be somebody, coach, player, upperclassman. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot we can go through, but if you're a USC fan, you followed this program closely for the last several years. I don't know. I don't need to tell you how many kind of structural issues there are. They kind of go beyond Helton um, off the field in terms of um, financials, in terms of scandals with the athletic department, um, different stuff like that. Um, obviously, they, had, they have a new, USC has a fairly new president and athletic director um, because the, uh, their predecessors pretty much resigned in disgrace, um, especially uh, Max Nikias, the old uh, USC president. There's just been a lot of issues with the school in general, which I think has kind of contributed to Clay Hilton staying around. But at some point, if you are going to rebuild the historic identity of USC football, Clay Helton is not going to be the guy to, to do that. And is he a stable figure in a very kind of unstable time? And then, you know, obviously he had to be, especially initially taking over from a guy who had some pretty serious alcohol uh, issues, as everyone knows, um, in Steve Sarkeesian. So he he's good at being a stabilizing force, and I'm thankful for a lot of the things he's done for the program just to kind of keep it afloat. But he's not the guy who is going to take that program to the next level. And so that's the issue. is He's not going to be the guy, like you said, to kind of light a fire under this team in a way it needs to be lit. And that doesn't mean he's a bad coach. That doesn't mean that his time at USC was even necessarily a failure. He did get us back to the Rose Bowl, mainly through Sarkisian's recruits and an otherworldly season from Sam Darnold. But at the end of the day we USC is pretty much we're seeing USC right now. I think this is kind of my main point. What we've been seeing from the past season plus from Helton is kind of USC reaching its ceiling under this current coaching staff. And I just, you know, this is who they are. They're, they're not bad. They're not a bottom dweller, but they're mediocre and they're inconsistent. The air raid has its limits. They yeah. can't pull away. They can't be, they can't necessarily dominate bad teams. I, yeah, like I said, I just, you know, I feel like better days are eventually ahead for the, for the USC football program. I just don't know if they're necessarily like around the corner, as long as Clay Helton is there.
1: Yeah. Well, he's going to need to have his guys ready coming up this weekend, though. Obviously they're two and in rank, so they still got obviously a great chance at that. Pac-12 South title going to the Pac-12 Championship for the third straight week. What a, what a weird year this is in COVID, but for the third straight week, USC will be playing a team, um, and their opponent will be playing its first game of the college football season, as Utah has dealt with a lot of COVID problems on their first team, and they've been playing with the second stream in practicing, so really don't know what we're going to get out of them, but USC with another, it looks like on paper, favorable matchup that they should win against the Utah Utes.
0: Uh, Yeah. No, again, I'd pick USC to win. I don't, I don't know if that's going to necessarily be like, you know, I mean, again, all they need to do at this point is just kind of get to the Pac-12 championship game. And I think that will be a successful season. And then obviously, you know, we'll see what happens with the bowl games, especially in the midst of COVID and everything. But um, I mean, that's pretty, like I said, that that's kind of their ceiling this year. And it's not yeah. what I'd like USC ceiling to be, but that's that's where it is right now. I don't know how much longer Clay Hilton stays. James Franklin might be out of a job and he's been rumored to USC forever. So mm-hmm. that might be something happening to him because Penn state has looked awful this year.
1: Yeah. They've been bad. Again,
0: I just, you know, but then again, that does that mean you want to go out and scoop up James Franklin when it looks like the bottle, the bottom just fell out for his program. So again, I, I mean, I don't know what the next step is here. I don't envy athletic director Mike Bone. I don't envy his position. Um, but I will say that, you know, it's just, we're clearly just kind of stuck in purgatory right now. And, it, you know, it is what it is. I will say it it's made been made a lot more painful by seeing Brian Kelly Oh, pretty much overnight over the course of a single season transform his entire coaching staff and his entire team's culture and rescue his team out of purgatory remember freshman year joel
1: yeah i mean terrible terrible he got beat i think 49 to 14
0: you know adory jackson ran all over notre dame yeah um uh, usc went to the rose bowl um notre dame finished what four and eight
1: yeah they had a terrible season 2016 was the worst under brian kelly um yeah like you said he did a complete overhaul of his staff and things have been trending upwards ever since and we've been in the playoffs already once and yeah things are looking good for the irish he's turned the program around
0: absolutely and it's just you know it's a testament to brian kelly that he was able to do that and usc and this falls under former athletic director lynn swan who other than being a trojan legend had absolutely no qualifications to be an athletic director but that's another story (laughs) the worst thing he did for usc's program and maybe to be fair maybe with the way the school the position the school was in at that point he wasn't financially able to um fire helton but he sent out a letter like the day after uh two years later same place in the coliseum notre dame beat usc to go to the playoff usc fell to four and eight and lynn swan sends a letter and says hey I trust Clay Helton to rebuild this program in the same way. And he basically said, in the same way Brian Kelly did a couple years ago. Hmm. It should be obvious, like, the choices that Brian Kelly made, that doesn't happen. Like, that, you know, Brian Kelly is is not, like, the standard expectation. Like, that was miraculous what he did. And expecting Clay Helton to do the same, was incredibly naive and now like i said usc is still still stuck in purgatory
1: yeah yeah but either way you know obviously our two teams are doing quite differently but either way we are super excited to have college football season fully in swing and very true really happy to have the pac 12 join now they're the last of the power five so every power five going now so yeah we'll be looking forward to seeing what happens this season but you'll catch everything from game previews to reactions here on the frenemies podcast so Keep tuned for that. College football news will be here, Austin.
0: We're going to send it over to our interview with Harrison now, talking all things NBA. But, yeah, in the meantime, uh, stay tuned. We will be back um, a little on the early side next week for a Thanksgiving episode. Um, but, yeah, I hope everyone's staying safe uh, and being able to, uh, even though I know it's a tough season for a lot, uh, being able to find some joy in the, mi- in the midst of this kind of crazy and unprecedented holiday season. Let's send it over to the interview with Harrison. And we like to welcome in Harrison Fagan from SB Nation. Um, he is the editor-in-chief of the Lakers blog there, Silver Screen and Roll, also uh, the Lakers beat writer for the site. He is a fantastic person, fantastic journalist, friend of mine for many years, great all-around guy, one of the hardest working people I know. Harrison, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, I mean, after that intro, I'm definitely happy to do it, you
2: know, like, if you're, you're going to plug me as not just one, a great journalist, which I don't even know is true, but a great person, which I feel like is even less true, like, uh, you know, like, I, you, look, I'll, I'll come on whenever you want.
0: See, you know, you see how podcasts treat you when uh, they're not hosted
2: by Anthony? Yeah, no, this is great. I think that's why I'm so blown away. I'm used to, like, being like, oh, yeah, also Harrison is here, but anyway.
1: Uh, yeah, I'd have you, Harrison. Yeah, well, thanks,
2: hey, Joel. you know, I appreciate up, it, guys. Uh,
0: yeah, no, you know we figured we would give you some extra love.
2: Yeah, look, I look, I need it, especially ahead of free agency. I need like all the positivity and like good vibes I can get before uh, we head into like a two-day madness, unlike anything <laughs> we've ever seen before in the NBA. Yeah, honestly,
0: this is kind of the calm before the storm. We are recording on Thursday morning, so. Um... Who knows by the time this gets up on Friday morning, the entire NBA may have been traded. So (laughs) who
1: the heck knows?
2: (laughs) Traded or opted out or re-signed or, you know, who? like, uh, yeah, who knows what is going to happen in the next 24 hours.
1: Yeah, refusing to sign, as you've already seen from Bogdanovich over on the Kings. I mean, anything can happen here. Yeah, no, players can be traded to,
2: signed and traded without agreeing to sign. Which also, I'm
1: surprised nobody picked that
0: up because, like, If someone had, like, just stepped back as, like, all the Woj bomb craziness was happening and realizing, wait, wait, how could this guy have agreed to sign with another team before the legal tampering window was open well austin
2: let me answer that question for you it's because there are a lot of guys talking to agents about potentially signing with a team while they are not uh, supposed to legally be allowed to and it's like that's why i I thought it was hilarious that that, that there was that report that a bunch of opposing gms were really pissed off about this and it's like you guys are all tampering too like like what is this like a fight club situation just no one can admit that they're tampering and that's what you're mad about (laughs) like you know like i don't buy for a Second, that he had not agreed to go to Milwaukee I think they are trying to avoid the league barring them from being allowed to sign with Milwaukee like because of like tampering rules because usually like it seems like the NBA kind of looks the other way on this stuff as long as you aren't too late like as long as you don't go on Jimmy Kimmel and wink about Paul George like you're generally pretty safe (laughs) from an investigation and (laughs) like I I think that so like I I think this is more of a situation where they're like Bogdanovich it, it, it's, it's like no I never agreed to go there and the Bucks are like no we meant we meant Boyan Bogdanovich not Bogdan Bogdanovich yeah. like
0: <laughs> yeah no and I, I you know like I, like you said you know I do know that like it's sort of like a wink wink type of thing where you know everyone is talking in back channels, but something that brazen, I feel like. Yeah, that
2: was, like, that was the thing, is it was so brazen, like, exactly
0: like you said, like,
2: they had to do something to course correct, which is, like, the Kings were like, all right, I guess make us look like idiots, like, (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna save the deal.
1: No, but that'll be scary when that goes through. I mean that's a it's a great starting five in Milwaukee. they've made some moves so we'll keep an eye on that on that sign and trade with Bogdanovich for sure.
0: Hopefully for the sake of our buddy uh, Ty Windish over at Blue Wire pods, that trade does go through because judging by the way he's uh, he, he's been on the time, on the Twitter timeline. I really do hope it goes through because his emotions have been all yanked around over the past few days as a, I'm sure Eddie Buck's fan.
2: Yeah, no, we're going to have to do a wellness check on Bucks fans if, uh, if this thing, like, doesn't go through and, you know, they lose some assets because of it or whatever. Like, uh, you know, they are on pins and needles right now going into this potentially final Giannis season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of trades, the Lakers kind of made the first quote-unquote major trade of the, this offseason. Uh, you wrote a great piece about it for Silver Screen and Roll as soon as the trade was official. I want to talk to you a bit about that. They traded the first round pick uh, of this year's draft in Danny Green for Oklahoma City point guard Dennis Schroeder. Oklahoma City is tearing down their roster and basically collecting every single draft pick in the NBA to the point where I'm pretty sure Sam Presti is going to have all top 10 picks uh, by, like, 2025.
2: Yeah, I saw um, someone say that, like, what, there's going to be some draft in, like, four years that's just going to be David Griffin and Sam Presti alternating picks, like, for the entire <laughs> first round. They're Like, we're like yeah. all right, and on the clock again, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Like... Honestly, just gonna have a whole
0: roster of rookies, basically.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy.
0: They have just an absolute war chest of assets right now, both those teams, the Thunder and the Pelicans. Yeah, and who Um, knows, maybe
1: unlike the
2: Celtics, they'll actually cash them in at some point.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that. We'll get we'll get to that. Um... (laughs) The shade is already being thrown here. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I love Um, it. But like you said, uh, in your article, Dennis Schroeder kind of fits the gaping hole that the Lakers have had in their roster going back to kind of the middle of last season um, that was temporarily and somehow shockingly filled by Rajon Rondo turning the clock back 10 years in the playoffs, going full quote-unquote playoff Rondo on everyone. But it's clear that having the second creator off the dribble, having the second guy who can kind of get his own shots and distribute The Lakers didn't really have that last year in the regular season, and there was that whole bizarre Darren Collison recruitment, the Dion Waiters signing was kind of supposed to fill that hole, didn't really work out, and then, like we said, Rondo kind of became a supernova somehow, but um, where do you kind of see Schroeder fitting in on the Lakers, both in terms of kind of on the court and then in terms of roster construction as we head into this kind of crazy free agency period?
2: Yeah, so, uh, like, I as you said, I wrote about it at Silver Screen Roll a little bit. Like, I, I think that, you know, aside from the stuff that you mentioned about, like, that was something, like, I, I thought Pete Zayas, Laker filmer, made a great point on his podcast this morning that, like, look at the Lakers in the playoffs once they had that second off the dribble creator. Like, they were almost unbeatable, like, in the games where, where playoff Rondo showed up. Like, he what, playoff Rondo does not show up every game, but when he does... Like the Lakers were basically unstoppable during that playoff run in games where he played really well outside of that one game where they like kind of fell short in the late comeback against the Nuggets. Um, And, but like, even then he basically almost brought them back by himself by just like punching, you know, uh, like uh, Jamal Murray and stealing the ball and daring the rest to call fouls and you know, whatever. But like, I I think aside from, like how much they need, they clearly needed that secondary creator just to kind of ease the load on LeBron while he's on the court, make it so that Anthony Davis. I, I I'm sure you guys both watched earlier in the season last year. That was a real thing. Like they yeah. were, they were playing. Mm-hmm. Like they tried to have Quinn Cook do it, and they're like, oh, he cannot throw an entry pass or really get the ball past half court. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I guess yeah. just give it to AD at half court, and he'll dribble up and initiate our sets. And it's like, yeah. okay, uh, this guy that hasn't played point guard since high school and look like Anthony Davis is an okay passer and an okay shot and a pretty good shot creator, but, If you're asking him to do that, your team has some serious struggles elsewhere, Uh, like as far as just bringing the ball down. So, like, Mm -hmm. this takes that off the table as long as Schroeder is in the lineup. That's not going to happen. So, you're going to have LeBron or him taking care of that. or It's going to happen very rarely. And, you know, when LeBron is on the court, I think we saw how Rondo can ease his burden there a little bit. Mm -hmm. During a shortened and expedited season, I think we are going to see, you know, if the Lakers are smart, I think they're going to have to, you know, kind of get LeBron to know his limits, rest him a little bit here and there. Schroeder kind of makes that a little bit easier. Like, you know, look, Danny Green, I think you lose a valuable wing defender and a guy that I know Lakers fans were not the biggest fans of, but like he helped but he was not going to be bringing the ball down the court for you while LeBron sat. So you kind of deal with that during that instance, you help fix the, you know, the non LeBron lineups with AD because all of a sudden you have that creator again. And then, you know, look, I think, and I wrote this in the article, I think one of the biggest pluses that Schroeder gives you is that all of a sudden, like, you know, the Lakers clearly wanted another point guard, this offseason. and you know we've seen what the going rate on the trade market is for you know star or pseudo star or however you want point guards and like you know the bucks basically gave up an an almost anthony davis level package for drew holiday uh the suns gave up quite a bit for chris paul who was already hard to salary match so even if like Obviously, the Lakers don't have a ton of first-round picks to give, They would so they couldn't have given up a bunch of first-round picks. But they would have just lost a lot of players who contributed to their rotation just to be able to make a financial deal for Chris Paul. Like Dennis Schroeder, if that just costs you Danny Green on this market and like, yeah, you know, absolutely. a late first-round pick, I think that you can find a guy as valuable as I feel like Danny Green was. And the Lakers do need to go and address that wing defense hole now. I do think that they can probably do that for cheaper than the 15 million Danny Green was getting and probably get a guy that can at least give you like 70 to 80% of what he gave you on defense for close to the minimum, or maybe, you know, like a little bit more than that. So like, I think that like they're going to be because you're going to get a ring chaser guy there they've already been linked to wesley matthews i'm convinced that that is like done because you're hearing the word the reports that we this is not inside info we're just hearing the words of these reports that like usually indicate okay a deal's done but we're not allowed to say it yet yeah. Of like the lakers are expected yeah. to pursue wesley matthews really hard when free agency opens and it's like hmm like I wonder if that's maybe just one of these deals that's kind of maybe done, and you know it, you just raise an eyebrow a little bit, and we'll see. But um, that that kind of makes me think that that one's maybe in the bag. Um, yeah, you know, maybe the Bogdanovich thing changes that, but I doubt it. So like I think that he just gives you a lot of skill set. He just gives you a skill set that the Lakers were lacking, and I think for what the Lakers are sending out, they'll be able to replace relatively easily, and that's why I really like the addition. The more that I thought about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you made a lot of great points, especially in terms of kind of realizing that, yeah, Danny Green obviously had some huge shooting issues, but mm-hmm. he did provide a lot of really solid defense down the stretch. But also, like you said, that can be replaced for cheaper. And on the shooting side, because Danny, when he when he is hitting, he can be an amazing shooter. I thought you made some really good points in your article, and this is something that um, really excited me about the trade as well in terms of uh, the fact that Schroeder can get to the rim, he's kind of a three-level scorer. He can get to the rim. He can provide some mid-range thing that um, some mid-range scoring that um, allows the Lakers to kind of have a little insurance in case Avery Bradley leaves. And then yeah, he, he also... shot
2: forty-eight percent from mid-range. Like that's like yeah. a supercharged version of what the Lakers were getting from Bradley last year because yeah. he can also get to the rim. that will. So like you know, he really is a dangerous, like you said, like a three-level scorer. And yeah. you know, on the Danny Green part, like. I'm not a doctor, but he mentioned Achilles pain. He was clearly dealing with quite a few injuries by the end of that playoff run. Like he was, I I mean, he already runs weird, but he was really banged up by the end of that. and You could tell. And part of me, and again, like this is not inside info. I just wonder if they maybe have some medical information on him where they were like, this guy is not going to be ready for a shortened expedited season. And we need to try and use this contract while we can with the first round pick. And like, you know, I think for that, you know, for what you're trading out, I think this is, like, just as solid of an addition as you probably could have made, especially when you're hearing, like, they were connected to DeMar DeRozan, you know, like, they were connected to Derrick Rose, like, look, those guys are obviously very different players, but I don't think really address the Lakers' needs in the same way that Schroeder does, and certainly would have cost, well, Rose wouldn't have cost a lot more, I just think he's a much worse player, Um, and then, Uh, like DeRozan would have cost a lot more and I'm not convinced it's like that much more
0: helpful for the Lakers than Schroeder is if at all and like you mentioned you mentioned Rose and DeRozan neither of those guys I think we can safely say can shoot threes can shoot especially off the catch and shoot as well as uh, Schroeder can I don't have the numbers in front of me but I know he was pretty solid from that metric as well which obviously kind of helps replace Danny Green on that front.
1: Yeah, definitely. And something we kind of talked about in our in our last podcast was how important it is going to be for those teams who went all the way to the title, um, were in the bubble for so long. How how less rest days they have. I mean, I think they have seventy two days, and the Warriors have something like two hundred eighty six. And so, bringing in a energetic guy like Schroeder is going to help the Lakers a lot. As LeBron's all but pretty much already said, he's he's not going to like go hard at the beginning of the season. He's kind of gonna he's gonna not going to coast through, but he's not going to go hard. I mean, you see that. You know, obviously know the term playoff LeBron and everything. So. Bringing in someone like Schroeder is going to really help with those fresh legs, which we say is going to be so important to start off this season, started off strong, um, with so short of rest.
0: Yeah, I want to get your take on that, Harrison, in terms of what can we expect from LeBron this year? Because, you know, he's, what, 35, 36? I think going to be 36 at the end of this year. We saw how engaged he was on defense, really, for the first time in years last year, after getting that long layoff uh, the previous season with his injuries. What can we expect? Because, again, like Joel said, he's getting a really short break. Um, We've seen him, obviously, rest his body in prior years, especially that second stint with the Cavs. So kind of where does that fall? Because, obviously, I mean, I don't think we can expect him to go 100%. I just don't know how, like, if I was in his position, I would just, like, I, obviously, I'm not a 6'9", you know, freak of nature who is in the (laughs) town right on Jordan's heels in the the goat debate. But how do you manage your body like in a scenario, in just such a unique scenario like that? Where do you think the Lakers thinking in this? Because I know you're not like a scoop guy, but you know, the Lakers, you know, LeBron, you've covered this team. Where do you think their thinking is on that and how they manage this?
2: Yeah, so uh, like, I think, I mean, you asked how I would manage it and like, I would get hurt is uh, that's how I would manage it. Um, but uh, like, I am a lot more injury prone than LeBron. I, I have a tough time predicting what he's going to do this season, because re- remember last summer or uh, sorry, late summer of 2019 when we were all kind of predicting, okay, LeBron's going to take a step back this year, he'll load manage a little bit, he's coming off this serious injury, they have Anthony Davis to carry some of this load now, and then he like tries to gun for MVP basically the entire season before it was shut down, and you know, could have maybe made a like closing run that would have gotten him more into the conversation than he ultimately was when the votes were taken, and you know, like, so it's hard to predict he's joking with Obama on the shop that he's going to cherry pick the whole first half of the season. And, you know, that's what they got Anthony Davis for to come in and do all the work early on and all this stuff. but like, we know that it also burned him not getting more votes for MVP. So it's like, is he going to go out and try and prove, uh, you know, quote unquote, the haters that call him hashtag washed, uh, you know, again, is he going to try and prove all those people wrong again, all those people that think that LeBron's washed? Or is he going to, you know, take it easy a little bit, kind of, you know, use what I think most of us would consider common sense and load manage a little bit, sit out some back-to-backs, kind of, you know, take, I think, a justified break and a justified, you know, kind of uh, like, you know, rest days and take it easy a little bit at times, because look, he's going to be 36 in a month. He... Theoretically, we would think that father time is starting to catch up to him, although this playoff run proved that maybe that's not the case, although there were even more moments where during the playoffs, where, especially during that Nugget series, where it looked like he was, you know, if not running out of gas, at least like not really finishing as well at times and, you know, having some turnover issues and whatever. And like, look, he was still their best player, probably by like pretty much by far, Um, but he, especially in the finals, closing out that series definitively proved he was still the finals MVP, still the best player in the world when he wants to be. But, like, look, there were signs of aging at times last year, and there were moments where he had, he needed to take it easier. We all saw watching Lakers games last year that he would really defer to AD in the first half and kind of turn, it up, turn on the gas in the fourth quarter if he needed to to close it out. And he was still really great in those moments. But are those fewer and farther between? I don't know because – Like after they won the title and he he did again, he seemed upset about not winning MVP. So is he going to come back and try and make an argument for that again? Or does he try and take it easy? I really don't. I have no sense for it at this point because of what I said about last off season and what we all expected and how wrong all of us were.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good point going off of that because that's obviously the big question kind of going into this next season with the shortened break. But how did the Lakers... They only have, I believe, even with Schroeder, like six or seven guys under contract right now. And half those guys are people like Taylor Horton-Tucker, uh, Alex Caruso. Bench, you know, obviously Caruso is a valuable rotation member at this point. But guys who are um, kind of more bench slash two-way guys right now. So where do the Lakers kind of go from here in terms of how they build the roster? What kind of deal does Anthony Davis sign? What happens to Kuzma? But then also what happens to guys like, you know, we're starting to hear rumors about Dwight Howard possibly leaving, Avery Bradley possibly leaving. Um, It seems like Rondo is gone, especially after the Schroeder trade. Where do you... Yeah. Yeah, so, so
2: Kyle Kuzma just we'll start with him. He's eligible for an extension, still under contract yeah. obviously for another year before potential restricted free agency if the Lakers tender the qualifying offer or don't reach an extension. Um I do not see the extension happening based on where he he and his camp feel like his value is versus where I would imagine the Lakers probably put it. So like I like yeah I just don't really see a middle ground there where they're going to reach and be able and extend him, especially when the Lakers, by all accounts, have wanted to keep cap space open for 2021, you know, until Giannis signs that super max, you know, Costas is going to be on the roster and, you know, they're going to keep, you know, seeing if they can bring him to LA eventually, like that's, you know, uh, that's speculation at this point, but I think that we can all read between the lines and see what they've been doing, you know. I don't think that it's an accident that Schroeder shares an agent with Giannis as well. And so, like, I've been joking that the Lakers potentially are going to have three KCPs on the roster. They're going to have the original KCP that brought in LeBron, and then they're going to have Kostas as their first Giannis KCP. And then they're going to have Schroeder as their other Giannis KCP, just like as the guys to, uh, you know, feed info to Giannis about how great uh, it is being a Laker and how awesome the organization is and whatever. And so, you know, again, like we could see, it sounds like the winds were blowing for him signing Supermax, just like, you know, reading between the lines of what the insiders have been saying the last week. But again, who knows how the Bogdanovich thing affects that? Who knows how real that is if he'll actually you know, you can't believe it till you put pen to paper. And then as far as free agency goes this off season, I think there are going to be two real areas that uh, that they're going to target. And look, we're going to talk to Rob Polinka in like an hour. So we'll probably hear more on this maybe from him. But, you know, Avery Bradley, it's, it, it really is seeming more and more like is going to opt out and leave uh, just based on, again, like reading between the lines of all the info coming out of his camp. Um, and so like, I think that they're going to need Wing defenders and they're going to need big men. Again, it sounds more and more like Dwight Howard may leave. He was talking about wanting to get paid, and there's been a lot of, you know, noise about the Warriors pursuing him uh, in some way. And so I think the Lakers are going to have to look at centers. You know, Tristan Thompson is a guy that I would imagine they will look hard at given the clutch connection, given that, um, you know, like he and LeBron have been very openly talking about how much they enjoyed their time together in LA during that whole clutch pro day and getting together. Now Thompson's living out here too. Um, You know, I I think that Thompson is clearly close with Anthony Davis as well. Uh, And so like we, I would not be surprised to see him potentially take a discount and be a guy. We've also heard a lot of noise about Serge Ibaka is another name that they could target. That would be like, both of those guys would be incredible additions in different ways, but almost like supersized versions or, or like supercharged versions of what JaVale and Dwight gave them. In that those are guys that could potentially stay on the floor during meaningful yeah. playoff games where, you know, outside of Dwight, the Lakers didn't really do that in the playoffs uh, where Dwight closed a couple games against Nikola Jokic. But other than that, like both of those guys were luxuries during the playoffs that weren't needed a whole lot. Um and then, you know, like I said, wing defenders. Wesley Matthews is a name. Uh, you know, Mo Harkless, does he want to come back to LA? Like could we see, you know, him come back seeking revenge on the Clippers while Rondo goes to the Clippers to seek revenge on the Lakers for not wanting to overpay him and, you know, like get the, the get those dynamics going. I don't like these teams just basically are trading players to, you know, get revenge on the other one. Um you know, and I know Harkless was obviously Nick most recently, but he, I think it's clear that he felt burned by the Clippers, just uh, shipping him out and thinking that Marcus Morris, who may not even be better than him um, could, you know, be uh, like, you know, the, the key to the Clippers, you know, playoff success that obviously did not happen. So again, I think wing defenders and big men are probably uh, the two big areas because it seems like they've addressed the point guard issue and, you know they obviously don't need a ton of help elsewhere because of the presence of LeBron James and Anthony Davis.
0: Yeah, no, I thought I, again, like 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 you said, like it really does. Obviously, you have the core of LeBron and AD, and then it kind of depends how the rest of the pieces fit. And obviously, you saw a lot of um, role players with the Lakers kind of really, um, as ha- with as with what happens with any playoff team, really get a chance to shine and kind of. And, improve their value and how they want to cash in. Um, last thing before we move on, you mentioned KCP, of course, the clutch connection. He was kind of one of the first big signings that Rob Linka brought in, even when magic was still there. Um, he, he kind of used that as a Trojan horse because. Uh, yeah. Mana from pro. heaven. They they
2: brought him in. They paid yeah. him $18 million. Let him take whatever ludicrous shots he wants. And he was like, <laughs> Hey, LeBron, it's great here. This, uh, yeah. this organization is awesome. They let me play on uh, while I was on house arrest,
0: like. <laughs> yeah no and i mean we even saw like there was a big game i think it was when the cavaliers were in la lebron's last year in cleveland where magic very publicly went over to rich paul and just said hey how's it going and everyone like everyone at staples saw it and he could just wave it off as, oh yeah no we're just talking i'm just talking I-, I have kcp on my team i'm just talking to his agent. this is totally normal it has nothing absolutely nothing to do with lebron
2: that wasn't even the most brazen thing rich Paul sat in genie bus's seats like almost every single game that year it was you know, <laughs>
0: I did not know that yeah I'm not
2: kidding <laughs> like it was like they were very clearly putting the work in like all season long to try and make that happen and that's why so many people thought it was a done deal you know like halfway through that year
0: yeah well I I I hadn't heard that before that's yeah that I mean obviously it does seem like that move was getting telegraphed sooner rather than later but I did not know that that's that's really interesting. Um, Do you think KCP stays or does he does he leave does he try to get a bigger deal.
2: Honestly, I, I've, I have a couple different thoughts on this. Like, obviously, again, like, he's another guy that wants to get paid. Like, he's proven that he can contribute to a championship contender. I do not blame him or begrudge him that. Like, if the Hawks want to give him, you know, like, close to a max offer or whatever, like, you know, uh, like, you know, you thank him and you move on and you try to, you know, sign other guys. But the thing with KCP is, like, you know, I made this kind of insane analogy, but, it, you know, I think it kind of works, like, A lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to pay KCP 15 million. Like, he's not worth that. And it's like, okay, but the choice is not pay KCP 15 million or pay someone else 15 million. The choice is pay KCP 15 million or pay someone else like 5 million or, you know, see what you can get out of the bargain bin because the Lakers have his bird rights. Mm -hmm. And they aren't going to get a player of KCP's caliber who's like, a top three, top two shooting guard on the market this summer, uh, you know, out of the bargain bin like that. And maybe you think that they can replace his contributions by committee, you know, out of the bargain bin in that way. But, you know, with Bradley seeming likely to leave, with Danny Green traded, you know, I think the Lakers really have to keep KCP. And I think the thing that works to their advantage here is now that they've traded Danny Green, Rich Paul can't go to the negotiation table with them and sit down and be like, you're paying Danny Green 15 million. Well, KCP is better than Danny Green. So, you know, you are going to pay him 15.1 million or 15.5 million or whatever. And, uh, and the Lakers are like, well, like, you know, you can't get that from anyone else. And he, you know, he would go, you know, to kind of steal Brian Windhorse's point that he made to our own Jazz King. It's like, yeah, but he's worth 15.5 million to you. And, you know, now, he does not have that negotiating tactic in his bag because Danny Green is gone and he's not going to be able to sit there with a straight face and say KCP is better than Dennis Schroeder. You know what I mean? And so like, there's not that. Ta- and so he could still try to get KCP paid, but there's not that obvious, like, no, he's not coming back for less than Danny Green because he's better than Danny Green at this point. And he was better than Danny Green last year um, in, you know, basically every area. And so, but you can't do that now because Danny Green's gone. And so I think that there is more potential for him coming back, especially because now there's a clear cut, bigger role again. So it's not like he's going to have to come back and come off the bench. Like the starting spot is there for the taking yep. now, like that's mm-hmm. not in doubt as well. And so I think in a couple different ways, you know, the Lakers both need him back more. And they've also kind of cleared the way for him to come back a little bit more easily.
0: No, that's, that's a really, that that's really helpful. You're absolutely right. If he, if he comes back, he's the Lakers starting shooting guard. It, it seems like that's pretty clear.
2: Yeah. I mean, I just don't sit like, unless you're going to start, like, I don't know, like you're going to start, like start shooter kind of there and like have, but like KCP is going to be one of the top five players on the roster. Like yep. if he comes back. And so I, I think like, you know, he was better than Avery Bradley last year. You know, he just was like Avery Bradley was obviously he contributed to that starting lineup. But I think a lot of that was a little bit of a mirage. And what we saw once KCP adjusted to that role, he was better than Bradley was. And yeah, yeah, go ahead. I I think I just think like he's going to be the starting pathway is clear for him, barring some like, you know, completely unforeseen trade for like DeMar DeRozan or something like that, like something crazy happening. Like he will be the starter if he comes back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I kind of remember when there was kind of the whole like mini freak out among kind of the Lakers fan base when Avery Bradley said he wasn't going to the bubble. uh, And just kind of, okay, the Lakers are already kind of thin at guard. Um, Now they're going to have to kind of replace that because Bradley, like you said, was a was a pretty solid contributor, Um, definitely rebuilt his value a little bit after some tough years. And, uh, you know, you look like What happened in the bubble is KCP stepped up and played amazing, especially, you know, back in the starting role, like you said, in the pre-COVID regular season, after he kind of got through those initial bumps and getting kind of pushed to the bench. Once he adjusted his role, he was great.
2: Joel, I'd actually be curious for your thoughts on this, because, like, as someone who is a Celtics fan, and so is probably pretty familiar with Bradley, too, from his days there, like, I just feel like his defense is massively overrated. Like, he is a guy who, like it's easy to see why your casual fan would think he's a great defender because he picks up full court. He chases guys around like he plays really tough. uh, And so it's like, he looks like he's playing effective defense, but you know, It's like, it's like to steal a phrase from Russell Westbrook, like, you know, doing all that work just to get 40, like, he's just like, he kind of is a little bit like your Patrick Beverly, where I think like some of it is a little bit of a mirage where he's clearly trying really hard, but how many games last season did we see Avery Bradley pick up like two or three fouls in the first quarter and have to go to the bench and barely play again that night? Because like, I think that his contributions to the team last year were more, uh, like almost in mentality, like I think that it energized the other starters to see how hard he was playing, and so I do think the, they got some intangible benefit from that, but other than that, I think they honestly, at first, they missed him more offensively, because, you know, Austin, you mentioned this earlier, but like he gave them a little bit of a mid-range attack, just like some offensive diversity that they kind of had to figure out a way to replicate without him there, but on defense, like I really didn't feel like they missed a beat because I really think that he is a massively overrated defender. And again, like Joel, I'd be curious for your thoughts on, you know, him as uh, like, like his defense and going back to the Celtics days. But I I just think like, I just don't really think that like, if he leaves, I don't think that they're going to miss him that much because when you watch the playoffs, like everybody's like, Oh, this is where they miss Avery Bradley. It's they miss him against like, James Harden? Like, what was he going to do other than get lit up and, like, give up more free throws? Like, what was he going to – like, Jimmy – he was going to stop Jimmy Butler? Like, I'm sorry. No, he was not. And so, like, I just don't – like, you know, obviously he's useful as a body to throw out there that can, like, take those assignments. But I just think he's a massively overrated defender.
1: Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with you on that. I think he – he probably, I think, was a bit more effective a little bit in Boston as a defender. He was a little less um, foul-prone on the defensive side of the ball. And, um, yeah, like you said, now, he was more of a spark on the offense sometimes for the Lakers. I mean, he had a few games where he would he would pop. I mean, same for the Celtics. He does have that mid-range game where he can do that. But um, overreaching and, like, obviously he's he's a little bit like Marcus Smart. He puts in, like, that type of hustle play on defense. And having two players like that on the court obviously does help the mentality and energy but, yeah, I agree with you. I think he the, – the impact he has on defense is a lot overstated, and they say, oh, Avery Bradley in that defense, you know. But I think that, yeah, he picks up those fouls and he reaches a bit too much. And, and yeah, like, like you said to the Lakers, I mean – He's not going to guard Harden. He's not going to guard Butler. He's not going to make a huge Yeah, like, everybody's so. like,
2: this is where they miss him. It's like, against who? Like, wh- who is he yeah. stopping here? And, like, not right. fouling and sending to the line two extra times a game, you know? Like, <laughs> right. I don't know. Le- LeBron was
0: picking up Butler. It's like, you you don't you don't throw Avery – even if – you don't throw Avery Bradley in that situation, especially not in a situation like the finals. Like, you – no.
2: Again, he's a body that tries hard. So, like, I, I get that, like, they pro- they missed him to some degree. I just oh, don't sure. think that it's, like – like, they won it without him. Like, I, I just don't think, like, obviously yeah. it's a different situation without Green coming back. But I think that what he gave them, you know, there's a reason he was available for, you know, like as little as he was available for last summer and why he only has a $5 million player option. Like, he, he's fine, but he's not, like, you know, he's not some like world beater on that end. And that's why like, you know, if he leaves, it's, you know, to me, it's whatever. Like, you know, I understand why the Lakers all felt like he was really valuable because again, the mentality thing. And, you know, I, I think in training camp, like a guy like that is really irritating to play against. And so mm-hmm. that's why I like play. I understand why players think he is a great defender because he does things that make it more annoying to score on him. I just don't know if he necessarily makes it more difficult.
1: Right. You know, and that was one of the things that was kind of one of my key issues with him um when he was in Boston why I wasn't he was obviously available for cheap and I wasn't sad to I wasn't really sad to see him go and I feel like Boston's plugged that in. So with the Lakers, I don't think they'll they'll miss him much. I feel like they'll be able to plug in um just as much value, if not better value of some when they get off the free agency market. So yeah, bit overrated on the defense, brings that energy obviously and that mentality, but I don't think the Lakers will miss him too much.
0: Yeah, I thought the Patrick Beverly comp you made was really good, Harrison. Moving on to speaking of the Celtics, they did make a couple draft picks. They got um, Aaron Naismith from Vanderbilt at 14. They got Peyton Pritchard from Oregon at 26. They picked up um, an international guy um, that I'm guessing would probably be a drafting stash, Yam Maidar, um, who instantly wins best name of the draft. Yeah, I was going to um, say, like, all names name. easily, like, right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, Joel, your thoughts on that, and then we'll get into kind of where the Celtics go from here for the rest of the offseason.
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, there was rumor going into the day. uh, Obviously, Danny Ainge is always talking about something, rumored to be doing something. There was rumor he was going to try and trade up. I don't know what he was going to do, but there was rumor he was going to try and trade up into the two or three pick. Obviously, we didn't see that happen. Um, There were rumors about Danny Ainge making a trade that he didn't make? Whoa! (laughs) Shocking, I know. There it is. Wow. Shocking. I, I would never. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so they ended up sticking with that 14th pick, though. Um, they took Aaron e. Smith, as you said, out of Vanderbilt. Um, excellent shooter. I think he adds immediate value off the bench. I was pleased with the pick. Um, ESPN analyst Jay Bealist described him as the best shooter in the draft. Um, so there's nobody better catch and shoot in this draft, shooting off of screen. So I'm looking forward to seeing the production that he can bring for the Celtics um, off the bench. With that um, draft pick, it looks all but sealed and done that Gordon Hayward's going to be on his way out. Um, I just kind of don't see them keeping both of those players. Um, He brings a similar aspect. Obviously, he's much younger, um, a bit more athletic, and obviously the injuries. Um, I really feel bad for Gordon Hayward, honestly. I I feel like he never reached his prime with the Celtics due to that injury, and it was just sad to see that happen um, to him. But yeah, I like the pick at 14. Um, And then obviously the Celtics took Peyton Pritchard. He's a scrappy, scrappy guy. It seemed like he was at Oregon forever. Every time I turn on March Madness, the guy, or the Pac-12 tournament, the guy's at Oregon. I think he was a fifth year senior there but I like the effort he brings he's he's a scrappy tough type of player he can shoot the ball um pretty well um I don't see him making a lot of impact immediately um he'll probably play up in Maine for the Red Claws maybe join Taco Fall up there a little bit uh, see what he can do up there for the Celtics but best pick and roll combo in the G League right there yeah, yeah seriously <laughs> Taco Fall I mean it's really unfair to see him up there up there in Maine but uh yeah, eating up people, but I do really like the the Smith pick. I think he brings um, a speed and athleticism that um, we need more of on the Celtics. And he is six six, and he can shoot the heck out of the ball, so I like the pick. And then, yeah, that guy of Israel, I don't I don't know much about him. Um, I know he's um, point guard, um, pretty pretty quick player, but he's not going to make an immediate impact. But overall, I'd say it was a pretty pretty solid draft we addressed. Um, Some needs we needed, and I like Smith, and I'm looking for him to make an impact off the bench pretty He's soon. A, the
2: 30-second highlight package they played of Jan Madar looked fun. So I was like, all right, yeah, no. mean, there you go. You know, interesting player. Yeah, there great
1: name, fun highlights. I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him on the starting
0: roster in a few years here. Jan Madar, I love it. Uh, so let's talk about, so obviously it was funny because we mentioned back in uh, our last episode, Joel and I talked about, um, the Celtics possibly gained gain Drew Holiday. And I said, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like just trading three first round picks for Drew Holiday seems like a little much. <laughs> well, uh, lo and behold, uh, apparently the Bucs don't think so. You know, the Celtics, I feel like we talk about a lot about kind of how the Nets are on the hot seat because if those Bucks deals go through, it seems like they really shorted up some weak, some weak points and now the Nets have the whole James Harden rumor to deal with. But the Celtics too should be considered right there in the top tier of the East. And it seems like they're now on the hot seat now because they obviously have a suit, budding superstar in Jason Hayward, Kemba, or sorry, Jason Hayward, um, Jason Tatum. Um, yeah, I was going to Kem- say, Jason Tatum yes. and, like, Gordon Hayward, like, Danny
2: Ainge's latest experiment was just combining them into one player. He just, like, <laughs> yeah. someone, like used one of those, Morton. like, teleporter things and just, like, you know, broke it halfway so they combined.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know... Uh, Kimball Walker had a really good first year there. The Celtics have a pretty deep team. Um, obviously, it seems like um, Neesmith will kind of either kind of augment or possibly replace Hayward. Kind of where do they go from here? And that's the question I want to hear from both you guys on, just because, like, obviously it seems like Hayward might be on his way out, but also, you know, they have the, the Celtics have to do something to kind of keep, keep pace in the East. And I just, you know, I'm curious to hear from you guys what you think that would be
1: yeah for me I think it's got to be it's got to be a big obviously I mentioned this on the last podcast going into this draft Um, we weren't able to get one Uh, we had our eye on on Yeko Kongwu who obviously went sixth overall to the Hawks Um, but yeah like I mentioned in the last podcast Daniel Tice Enos Cantor are good players Um, they're athletic but they're not they don't have that speed and explosiveness to the rim um, that you're looking for out of a big down low and it, it showed. Um, Bam Adebayo absolutely ate up the Celtics in that playoff series and I think to be able to compete in the East the Celtics are going to need to go out and find some sort of athletic big. Um, I don't know where that's going to necessarily come from for them but I think that's going to be a key to building that roster. I mean the roster as it is right now, I mean we we went to game six of the Eastern Conference Finals and if we can keep most of those pieces together obviously think we're going to lose Hayward but um the team the team is built on a good young core obviously Jalen Brown is also a budding superstar I I really think he upped his game in the playoffs and is is um turning into a superstar alongside um Jason Tatum so I think for the Celtics to keep pace we're gonna need to get probably one more shooter I don't know probably off the bench he's gonna be coming off the bench but probably out of the bargain bin like Harrison's been talking about probably a cheap cheaper option is just a shooter who can plug in and shoot and Smith will provide that as well. But then a big, I think, is going to be essential for them to even keep pace in the East for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just—I I don't have a lot to add. I just think that Danny Ainge has assembled like the greatest pyramid scheme of all time where like if you just keep <laughs> leaking that you almost traded for a superstar, yeah. like everybody would be like, oh, Dan, look, you know, Trader Danny making moves like trying <laughs> to improve this team. And, you know, just keeps them just good enough to like stay in the contention talks but never actually get over the hump but too good for him to get fired. And so he's just like established like permanent job security by continually <laughs> like, it's like, oh, well the war chest, the picks, you know, you never know what big move I could make coming down the line. It might even be a guy as good as, you know, that guy that we almost traded for, but we lowballed on an offer again. So, <laughs> you know, um, I- I'm excited to see like how he keeps it going and like, you know, like which superstar they, l- they were this close to getting next and <laughs> Uh, yeah, like how, how they g- just continue to use that war chest of assets they, they got from the Nets that just has, you know, completely, definitely paid off in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, uh. I mean, to, be, to in all fairness to the Celtics, and I hate that I'm doing this, but the Nets picks did turn into Brown and Tatum. Um, so, yeah, whatever, credit where it's due, blah, 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 blah. Exactly. My Danny Ainge analogy is... Uh, and this is something Joel and I have talked about this but um Joel and I were part of the same friend group in college and there were a couple guys in our friend group my my included who would talk to someone like Joel who's in a long-term relationship or one of our one of our friends who's in a long-term uh relationship and just said like hey you know this girl that we're both kind of friends with I I mean I just think she's really attractive I think I might uh you know I kind of want to get to know her better and might might want to ask her out um and then like we think about it for like a few weeks, and then we just never do anything about it. That's Danny Age. Danny <laughs> Age is the guy who Danny Danny Age is the guy who you know goes goes to his favorite reporter and says, "Yeah, you know the superstar. Um, yeah, we're really excited. I think I think I want to swing a big deal for him. I think I want to put myself out there. I want to go for it all." And then you know a couple of weeks later, you're like, eh, you know, never mind, never mind. <laughs> That's yeah, it's, it's so, hilarious
2: as we're saying this. There's a report from a uh Celtics beat repli- uh, reporter/I slash I assume Danny Ainge water carrier uh that like the Celtics were strongly advised to keep away after doing some research on James Harden. So like guy they didn't com- Danny didn't come up short. He just like they were advised to keep yeah. away over He was in the bag months.
1: if if not for those
2: strong, you know, Yeah, yeah. no, they were they were going to get they were going to get him, but they were just, you know, he doesn't fit that vaunted Celtics culture
1: yeah you know what we don't need harden we'll we'll go elsewhere yeah <laughs> you Gosh. know i will say this yeah. he gets us in the I, news danny Angel, i mean <laughs> they say i mean i don't know how true this saying is but um all news is good news you know you're in the media they're talking about you but <laughs> yeah all all, yeah. Pos- all posthumous trade leaks about the guys you
0: almost <laughs> traded for are good yeah. news
2: because then it's like oh man he was this close to jimmy butler
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah but... and hey and who knows maybe Harden just didn't like the Gentlemen's clubs in boston i don't know but <laughs>
1: i will say this though i do like the team they have right now obviously some issues to address but i thought you I were gonna the... say something about the Gentlemen's clubs in boston i was like oh what we're point not... is he about to make like where is this podcast going <laughs> no we're gonna stay away from from that topic on this on this podcast <laughs> but yeah it'll be interesting to see what the celtics do in free agency obviously some um issues and key places they need to fill in um we'll see what rumors Danny Ainge um stirs up in the media around the country but looking forward to an exciting free agency as you said earlier in the podcast Harrison this is gonna be a crazy next few days and I mean the whole all hell will break loose the whole NBA could be traded we don't know by the time this release is on Friday morning who knows
2: I just yeah. want to say it's going to be amazing when free agency starts on Friday, how there are like so many multi-year deals agreed to within two minutes of, you know, free agency. Like it's like last year with Kemba Walker, like it was incredible it, in like in all of 30 seconds, he had agreed to a max contract with, uh, with the Celtics, despite, you yeah. know, I guess they just mm-hmm. decided like they, they didn't have that much to negotiate over and, you know, they didn't care about the closet. Just, just give me the standard max contract.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just give, me, just give me the usual. No, yeah. um, I will say one of the best parts about the NBA and just how crazy these next few days that we're already seeing like some of these stories and just kind of learning more about how players, um, you know, how how players kind of evaluate that. But uh, Harrison, thanks so much for coming on. I know we went a little over, so we appreciate you sticking around, giving us uh, great kind of perspective into kind of how the sausage is going to be made the next few days. And um, yeah, just appreciate you coming. Coming on. Um, where can we find you? Uh, I know you have a couple different podcasts that you jump on occasionally, but yeah, anything you want to plug?
2: Yeah, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter at H-M-F-A-I-G-E-N, at hm Fagan. and uh, you know you can find all of my writing and podcasting pretty much at Silver Screen and Roll, either the website or uh, our podcast feed, which I'm on at least once a week. Depending, you know, we have it daily, but I'm usually on at least once a week, if not twice. Uh, And then I also host Rewind Rewind and Reconsider, which is a movie podcast with my wife. We've been a little slow on on episodes because the NBA news has been so crazy, but uh, we have one coming up on the Iron Giant that we're getting set to record over the next day or two. So uh, I'm excited about that.
0: Very cool, man. Well, thanks so much for dropping by. We really appreciate it. Yeah, happy to do it anytime, guys.
1: Yeah, great to hear your insight, Harrison. Appreciate it. Thanks for uh, coming by on the pod.